Welcome to the Making Sense of MarTech podcast and a regular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing, tech, and advertising. My name is Juan Mendoza. I write the MarTech Weekly Newsletter, a weekly email that covers some of the most important shifts in marketing technology. People who work at the world's largest tech, media, and advertising companies read it. Today, we're talking about the recent developments in the news media bargaining code particularly Facebook and Google's departure and how they've responded to this new legislation in Australia. Joining me on this conversation is Ben May. He's the founder and managing director of The Code Company. He's an entrepreneur and a digital publishing and media leader with over a decade of experience in news media, and particularly from a technology front. The Code Company remains one of the few Australian-owned and operated technical agencies that has significant experience and expertise in large-scale enterprise WordPress development. Ben has extensive knowledge in the underpinnings of the digital news industry and how it works. Over this week, there's been... A lot of big moves coming from Facebook and Google. The situation is rapidly evolving and very complex. But simplified, Google and Facebook were asked by Australian government to pay news publishers to use links to their content. So what we're talking about here is not snippets of content or partial elements of journalistic work, but rather just the link itself. Google responded to this by launching the Google News Showcase, which is a platform to license news content from publishers, but also bringing that content into a Google-owned property. And they've been able to sign up the majority of large enterprise news media companies like Nine and News Corp. Facebook, however, decided to take the nuclear option and temporarily suspend news publishers from posting on their platform effective immediately, literally deplatforming most of the news publications in Australia. So I give you Ben May. Thanks, Juan, and it's uh, nice to talk to you. Um, you know, as you sort of touched on earlier, uh, we run a WordPress development agency uh, primarily, and that has uh, been in, in play for you know nearly a decade now. We've been working with companies um, growing and scaling in WordPress it became clear along the way, you know, that our real value was in more uh, complex and, you know, um, specific builds inside the WordPress ecosystem, which is a huge ecosystem. We really made the decision to double down and continue to work with just digital publishers. Um, WordPress being, you know, one of the most popular CMSs for publishing businesses. And what that's allowed us to do is to really add a lot of extra value um, around the delivery of, you know, publishing platforms for publishing companies. So rather than just a straight dev shop, you know, we can add a lot of extra value around what we're seeing with our clients across the board. You know, we work with small solo practitioners who are, who are just starting to, you know, hundred plus people, uh, media companies, and everything in between. We typically work, you know, with me, uh, niche and sort of specialty publishing businesses uh, that sort of focus in some sort of vertical and often, you know, have a three to five year lifetime with any customer. Um, and that's usually as they're going through some sort of, you know, change or, or growth in their business that they really need a, a, a strong technical partner to help them in that process. Uh, and that's where we come in and, and can kind of help in that, in that journey for them. Now, we uh, just before this call, we actually talked about a stat on WordPress. Uh, I think you mentioned that 40% of the internet is actually run on the WordPress platform. 
That's which, right. Uh, so yep. it's, it's, a, it's a huge number. Uh, if you if you zoom out and think of the the sheer size of it, and it just continues to grow. Uh, and and within that, you know, there's a lot of a difference between you know small blogs and and individual personal websites. But the growth is happening at both ends. You know, as recently as the the new president of the United States, um, they launched a new WhiteHouse.gov, uh, which is all powered by WordPress. So oh, wow. you know, we're seeing WordPress used uh, in e-commerce. We're seeing it used at the highest ends of government um, and also where we live, which is in the, the media and publishing space where it's a, you know, a very common and very popular content management system to work with. And, uh, and that is interesting because uh, WordPress does run a lot of that infrastructure around news and that industry. And uh, as we get into this conversation, uh, I want to start with Google first. Like I mentioned, the conversation around and the dynamics between what's happened with the news media bargaining code has been really complex. And I think a lot of that complexity actually comes down to um, trying to talk about two very, very different market dynamics happening at the same time. We have Google literally licensing content from news publishers, or on the other side, you have Facebook where it pulled out. And those are two, two very big consequences. So let's talk about Google first. What's your read on the Google News Showcase? It seems to be a fairly controversial solution. Some people have commented to say that it's actually going to break the dynamics of SEO and Google search. And the reason for that is that because people are starting to see that Google wants to actually license the content and pay publishers direct, that actually disenfranchises other news publishers as well and makes the competitive landscape very unbalanced. So what's your uh, view on this? What's your take? Is the effect, is this going to have a big effect to search and uh, search, uh, search engine marketing? Uh, what do you think uh, news publishers are going to do to react? Yeah, it's a, it's a very big topic and there's a lot of different moving pieces to this. It's, you know, I, my, my thoughts are that in a lot of ways that Google are almost trying to either change or create a new set of behaviors around how people behave um, with Google search and news. So I guess when you think about, you know, a lot of traffic that we see across, you know, uh, all our media clients and things like that, the, the search traffic is, um, often topic-based, right? Someone is searching for something that's relevant. And if a media site has published an article relating to that, that particular topic, that news content is being surfaced or displayed in a different way. Likewise, if you search for something that a video result is the best, it's kind of injecting different things. There is also the whole ecosystem of sort of Google News, which is, you know, the ability to sort of, you know, almost bookmark news outlets and follow their content there. And, and again, you're always jumping back to the, the news provider's website. But the showcase, you know, and it, it's still very early days and, and you know, there's not a, a lot of data out there about how things are behaving just yet. So it's, it is early days. But, you know, the way I think of it uh, is, is more akin to like an Apple News. It's a walled garden product that Google are obviously going to be, you know, embedding into their, their Google products. You know, obviously Android phones and things like that are going to be very uh, heavily uh, leveraging this. Um, people using Google apps on iOS devices, things like that. So in, in some ways it feels like it's a bit of a change of behavior needs to happen for it to truly to take off. But yep. It also relies on consumers knowing particular media brands um, and, and sort of going through that process of following them rather than, um, I guess, the way it's worked to date where 
through something like search, it's it's topic based, but also the likes of Google Discover, which you know it also has a the potential to send you know massive amounts of traffic to publishers, and and that's Google's kind of you know. Um, understanding what you as an individual Google user are interested in. And when it spots news articles that they think you might be interested in showing that on your sort of home screen or, or feed or app or whatever, you know, particular way you access Google. So it, it's a bit of a different um, solution. So yeah, I, I can understand the, the, the hesitation of sort of going into a walled garden my wonder is if this is, you know, not necessarily a distraction, but it's kind of an addition to the the suite of Google products. So the the pressure or the heat is taken out of this current news media bargaining code, and you know, search and Google News Search and discuss, all these other things will co continue to operate, sort of in a model that they have always existed in, because that fundamentally is how we search. Like that is how we use Google and and have you know since the beginning of the internet, so to speak. Yeah, and, and that's the, the interesting thing about um, Google News Showcase is that it's a completely new platform, but it does augment how search results will be displayed because now within the context of search, news content is being licensed and then it creates an, a different set of incentives. Google famously haven't tinkered much with uh, Google Search as a product uh, purely because they want to keep away from any external biases or external pressures from the market. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, the theory behind SEO and search is that good performing, high quality, uh, you know, content that's, uh, that solves on people's needs is going to be promoted. Whereas this actually changes all of those incentives and dynamics completely, kind of flips it on its head, even though Google News Showcase is a different um, platform altogether. But one, right. thing, one thing that I found quite interesting uh, was that, uh, this new product kind of behaves like a Substack or a Medium. Um, those two examples are obviously much smaller and different markets. But um, you know, for example, Substack they do pay uh, publishers to write newsletters on their platform, uh, and that's one big part of uh, their brand and actually promoting what they're doing with Substack by uh, bringing in really prominent thinkers, newsletter writers, journalists, things like that. So, how do you think this solution? Google News Showcase will change how uh, publishers uh, go about uh, distributing their content. Do you think it could actually take off like Substack has, or do you think that something else will happen? I, I think something else is going to happen, and I'm not sure what exactly that will be. But yeah. like I said, organic search has been the, you know, it's been the foundation to so many media companies and publishers that, you know, search has democratized publishing that if you were a multi-trillion dollar company that had a terrible website, um, you could easily be cannibalized by a new up and coming startup that did all the right things. You had good responsive web design and the site was fast. It wasn't full of ads. The content was well-written, you know, that you, these little sites have come out of nowhere and become dominant players. And it was based on that level footing of the best technical SEO and and best content and best imagery and all these sort of things. So now it becomes this weird pseudo, you know, language where, you know, there's a commercial uh, element to it as well. Um, and yeah, it, it definitely muddies the waters. And, you know, I, 
I think it has the potential to disproportionately hurt smaller and new media companies coming into the market, um, which is always a concern because, you know, that that is fundamentally, you know, the internet has created an environment for, you know, somebody in their basement to take on a ginormous company and win. Um, and and there's, there's no shortage of stories over time of, of people who have done that. So, yeah, I think it does have, have that potential. Um, in terms of the walled garden, uh, you know, it, it's it ha- it's got to be a a combination of I think um, yeah. because going all in on a single closed platform, Ian, is a risk uh, as we know with Facebook of using that as a as a platform to uh, sort of host content that you are at the the mercy of of the big tech player. Um, you know, you're definitely going to benefit. Uh, while it rains, you, you you know you'll be able to get some traffic and some audience. But if they change the game, then you are at their mercy of of how the game is changed. And and that to me is probably one of the biggest risks. So news publishers, you know, I was talking with a friend the other day about this that they kind of hold truth against power. And you know, there's been countless scandals with big tech companies. You know, you don't need to mention the word Cambridge Analytica once. People go, oh, I know what that's about. Um, it's about Facebook. Um, and with Google News Showcase, you've got a big tech player, a company, um, you know, a competitor in the capitalist environment hosting news. and But also... Uh, licensing that and uh, there's a, a commercial agreement attached to that. So what would happen if a Nine or a News Corp um, or say the Australian, for example, they publish something, a big expose or a scoop on Google's hiring practices and that has an impact on Google in, in the Australian market? Like to me, that just doesn't make sense. <laughs> how, how you could rely on Google News Showcase, have a commercial agreement with a news publisher that could also hold you to account one day. Uh, so to me, there's just a lot of risk fraught with that as well, just from a commercial perspective. But, but I think you're right. There's a walled garden and needs to be sort of a both end approach, but then you have these nascent and these new players that are really delivering on experience and turning news into a product that people actually want to consume. Whereas, you know, if I look through history a little bit, you know, you don't have to look back 60 years or even a little bit further um, you know, news was a product. You bought a newspaper, you exchanged money for news and then television came into the picture and then consequently programmatic advertising came into the picture and the monetization incentives changed a lot. So now we're seeing the shift back to, Oh, it's actually okay to pay for news <laughs> and it's okay to, uh, you know, spend a $10 subscription on a newsletter or subscribe to the New York times, for example, um, because the quality and the value and the reliability of that news is higher than, um, than uh, often higher than the players that uh, are working in that advertising, programmatic advertising space. Yeah, it's a, it's a frustrating thing. You know, the Australian government or Australia, you know, globally, we've we've had a history of doing some pretty pioneering, you know, uh, legal, uh, uh, you know, um, laws and sort of, you know, changes. But when it comes to this, it just seems to have just completely fallen flat and been so misguided, um, you know, and, and people I talk to abroad, you know, just can't understand who has come up with this kind of proposed legislation. Um, the, the genesis is is sound, but it's been completely misdirected in, in terms of how they want to solve the problem or we're kind of kidding ourselves on, on some of the reasons why there has been a downturn in it. And it's not a downturn 
I guess it's not a black and white downturn. It's been a change. So like everything, it, you know, the, the media industry has changed and the last year or two we've seen massive adoption of digital subscriptions and these kind of more direct to consumer um, online uh, strategies that have paid really big dividends for people who have done it well. So, yeah, the, the, the genesis of, of trying to work out a way to, to subsidize um, or not to subsidize, but to um, encourage and support local journalism and, and how does how do search engines and, and, and social media, you know, manage that value exchange is certainly a good question to ask. But, you know, the current current implementation or the current proposal is just it just sort of, yeah, it, I think it really misses the mark. Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic perspective to have, I think. Um, and I'd like to move now to Facebook because that is probably the headline that's captured a lot of attention over this past week. Um, and it is quite uh, phenomenal to think of Facebook literally almost like deplatforming an entire industry because of commercial and political reasons. This has actually got a... Um, uh, I think there could be a consequence here for other things happening around the world, including regulation uh, and a lot of um, a lot of government action that's happening in the US and also in the EU for Facebook. But aside from all of that, uh, what I want to probe a little bit and get your thoughts on is how valuable is Facebook as a platform for audience development for publisher reach uh is it actually severe google pulling away all news media content out of their platform or are publishers kind of shrugging and saying well it's not a big deal um or are they freaking out um what is your take on that do you think there's a lot of valuable in facebook audiences talking to news publishers around the place uh, do they place a high value on it or um do they think about it differently so I think in any business environment, any sudden drastic change to anything is always going to give people pause and, and fairly rightly so. Um, you know, if you've, if you've amassed half a million followers on Facebook and all of a sudden just lose that uh, overnight, I think that that does definitely warrant a, a bit of, it's a bit of a destabilizing move. Yeah. And you know, Facebook are going to, to claim, you know, that their hand was forced and the gov and, and you know, the, the proposed legislation just doesn't work and, and they would rather back out. It's not a big enough deal to them. You know, it's a hard position to come back from. Um, you know, once you burn bridges, essentially, uh, it's going to be hard for, for people to, you know, place the same amount of trust in, in Facebook. That said, you know, how valuable is Facebook to publishers? I think there's value in having social followings, but, you know, in the last three or four years, uh, Facebook have made a number of changes uh, along the way that have made it harder for publishers, you know, to get a lot of traffic. And when we think about value for a publisher, you know, to think about it simply, you know, how much traffic do I get? You know, I got a thousand page views. If you start thinking about it like more nuanced media companies are doing now, it's like, well, how do we actually monetize that audience? Or how do we, you know, make something meaningful out of that? So if you're just a simple, um, you know, a simple operating uh, model that you run programmatic advertising and, you know, every time you get a visitor on site, you make five cents, you know, that is, I guess, valuable. So if you lose 100,000 uh, page views a month from Facebook, then you're losing 100,000 times three cents, you know. So there's a certain value there. 
But if your, you know, business model and, and, you know, as we see people starting to be more strategic and diversifying revenue sources and, you know, the explosion of uh, memberships and subscriptions and, and paid newsletters, all these kind of byproducts um, that we're, we're seeing come out in market, you know, the, the, how do you, how quantifiable is the Facebook audience? You know, you could, again, oversimplify and say that, you know, it's often people just looking at headlines and, and pictures, uh, not necessarily reading through um, to the side and, and, you know, really engaging meaningfully. It's a very shallow engagement. You know, you also have a lot of the kind of, you know, um, I guess in small local media, a lot of commenting and just kind of almost acting as a water cooler, which yeah. again, going back to that word of value, what value does that have really to a publisher? It's almost like they're, you know, walking into a shopping center to just use the air conditioning. They're not actually buying anything or even looking in the store. They're just sitting in the hallway because it's hot outside. So, you know, the, the value is probably different. It's probably a lot lower than the perception of a spike of traffic disappearing. Um, you know, Parsley is a analytics product like Google Analytics or, or, or Chartbeat. Um, and, you know, I think I saw a stat yesterday that, you know, the first day of this, you know, there was like a 10 to 20% drop global, uh, across Australian media companies um, from the lack of social. Whether that is a spike that, you know, stabilizes and, and people change the behavior or people just don't look at the news as much. You know, I personally don't look at any news via Facebook, um, but, you know, a lot of people I know do and a lot of people share things. And, you know, it's it, there's, a, there's certainly a demographic of people who will be, um, who won't even understand what's happened and why it's broken and, and have been kind of caught in the middle of this. Um, so, you know, there's certainly a, a, a net loss, but what the value, we're tying that back to a value it is going to take time. I think for people to actually stand back and, you know, objectively look at this change and realize, you know, I've, I've definitely lost a little bit of traffic, but you know, my business is actually as good or, you know, I, I can recover from this. Yeah. The, so, when I think about this scenario, I like to follow the cookie crumbs a little bit. And I look at the past five years and where Facebook is strategically invested. Um, and uh, for example, you know, they've, they've recently turned on uh, online shopping in the Instagram app. Uh, Shopify just, just this past week have announced that uh, they've created a native API into Facebook and Instagram. Somebody can stand up a Shopify store, do e-commerce, and that person, the end user, the customer, doesn't even need to leave the Facebook ecosystem to make a transaction. And it's not only that, but there's been a swath of different investments happening around marketplace and commerce. Five years ago, Facebook Marketplace, a secondhand um, a products sort of feature, that came into the app. And since then, it's really, like, really, really disrupted um, a lot of different marketplaces. So, for example, Gumtree. I used to rely on Gumtree every day <laughs> to buy and sell things, and um, a lot of people around me did as well, but now nobody uses it because Facebook's disrupted that market significantly. And so, from what I can see, uh, there's really – there's a sort of zero sum game for both players, news publishers. It appears that, you know, the audiences aren't really great from Facebook apart from potentially the viral reach of some of their news media and how it can sort of travel across networks a little bit. But um, the other side of things, Facebook, they're really doubling down on marketplace and e-commerce and integrating social and commerce. So in, in one way, Facebook experimenting with the Australian market and taking news out completely 
they're going to be watching this closely and thinking, okay, this is actually better for e-commerce. Does it reduce the amount of noise so that we can obviously sell more ads in somebody's newsfeed? Um, so there's a lot of different dynamics like that happening, but the trend seems to be definitely towards marketplace and e-commerce. Um, and I think your point about the audience is being valuable to news publishers uh, and it seems to be that it's not that valuable is actually probably a good thing for everybody. Um, and it does force the issue for innovation as well. Uh, so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about um, how news media uh, are going to pivot away from um, relying on uh, programmatic advertising and that three cents for every impression and how they're going to start building their own platforms. And what does that look like for WordPress? And what have you seen over the past few years? And what's your read on the future of that? Yeah, so I think smart publishers are seeing the writing on the wall and thinking of tools like, you know, Apple News or, you know, now the, the news showcase as acquisition tools uh, to bring people back to their core website. You know, the, the constant challenge of using one of these platforms is that you're at its mercy about, you know, what features you have, what access you have. You know, if, if you thought yesterday that you were running a Facebook page with 200,000 followers, that that was your audience, uh, you've probably had a rude awakening in realizing you never owned that audience to begin with. Facebook did, you were just borrowing it, borrowing it off them. So, you know, you're now powerless in that, in, that, in that sense. And I think what a lot of people are doing is, you know, waking up and realizing we really need to own it ourselves um, and, and just rely on those tools purely as sort of distributional syndication channels and bring people back somehow. And, you know, it, it can start as easy as an email address of, you know, being able to proactively keep in touch with people, um, but also building behaviors and, and, and all these different things. In terms of revenue, I think, you know, one of the priorities we've seen over the last 12 months, especially with sort of COVID happening and, you know, programmatic did dip pretty hard for, for a couple of quarters um, and, and has recovered to some extent now that we've realized the, the world will keep turning and, and, you know, people will still buy and sell things, um, is, is diversifying that revenue and really oh. going direct to consumer. I mean, I think programmatic is you know it's possibly one of the greatest sins the media industry has ever made was that we are just going to completely outsource the most vital part of our business the bit that makes us money to this weird supply chain that no one can really understand or, or grasp um <laughs> and you know everyone clips a ticket and i get some change left over you know i think that is one of the greatest mistakes we made well the, the industry made in the early days and has just become the norm uh and and people are starting to move away from that you're seeing people you know do direct sales so you're still advertising funded but you know I am a publisher. I sell straight to an advertiser and I show those ads straight to my audience, but advertisers are getting more uh, are getting more sophisticated and saying, well, hang on, you get all this random crappy traffic from Facebook. I only want to advertise to the people who actually read you every day of the week and really trust what you have to say, because I know those sort of super fans or those really loyal readers are more likely to buy. You know, if you've got someone who's just followed a link, someone shared something on Facebook or, you know, um, straight from, from Reddit or, or whatnot, you know, the, the chances of that converting is pretty low. But if you have a really engaged, deeply engaged audience who, who take your word as gospel, if you write a, an, an advertorial about, you know, my product, the chances of them buying it off me are significantly higher. So 
that's yeah. been a bit of an awakening. And, you know, I think the way for publishers to, to do that is obviously through better data, through understanding their audience, you know, not going after these vanity metrics of, you know, we had 10 million page views this week or, or whatnot, but trying to understand who are those really loyal, dedicated readers. Um, and, and that is something that's a lot more commercial uh, appealing. And other than just direct advertising, you know, like I talked about before, the rise in subscriptions and, you know, paid products and byproducts of various things, publishers doing direct e-commerce. It, it's, it's cutting out a lot of middlemen, which also, you know, is kind of, um, you know, solving a bit of the programmatic problem, which, you know, has been another challenge in Australia. They've, they've tried to understand the programmatic supply chain and pretty much came out nowhere at the end of all of that because they just realized it is a beast and it's incredibly complicated and, you know, what can we really do to fix it? So I think those are the sort of ways that publishers are starting to become more strategic about that um, and, and have a, you know, a stronger commercial sort of bottom line. Yeah, it's definitely one to watch. And I think this is going to force a lot of innovation, both from like across the supply chain from the actual publisher themselves, like optimizing their audiences, really investing in their audiences and the quality of the content. But then also the technology partners, there could be an opportunity for new partners to come in and actually solve on um, programmatic in a way that actually makes sense. Um, and it's away from the big tech player and the monopolies around it. So, um, so I think there's a lot to watch there, but but Ben, thank you for joining me on Making Sense of MarTech. Um, really great to get your insights around news publishers um, and your expertise working in WordPress. Uh, but really, I'm supporting a lot of publishers um, in Australia um, for years and years. So, so thanks for jumping on the show. Uh, can I ask you to tell us where we can find you on the internet? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I do a, uh, a newsletter uh, once a month uh, called The Publisher's Playbook. Uh, that's available uh, on our code company website, which is thecode.co, and uh, Twittering on uh, Ben J. May. So, uh, yeah, that's usually where you can find me. Great. Well, thanks for joining me. Thank you.